Well, this morning I want to tell you about two funerals, and I'll put the text in between those two funerals. Think with me uh, back to the last funeral you attended, or maybe uh, one of the most powerful funerals you attended, just a, just a funeral you went to that, that has kind of stuck with you. See, a funeral is kind of like a birth, right? It's, it's one of those moments where eternity touches earth, where uh, we realize, wow, there is much more going on here on our little planet than we expected, that, that the heavens are kind of opened and we realize, wow, there is a, a massive God. There is a, a massive moment that touches today. You know, at birth, you hold a little baby in your arms. You're like, oh, my goodness, there's so much more to this life than I expected. And at death, you walk up and you see the body of your mom or your dad or your friend or your sister. Then you realize uh, there's something missing there. That, that there's no soul, there's no life to this flesh, that, that, that something grander, something bigger is occurring uh, when, when someone dies, when someone's born. And so go with me to a funeral that you can remember the details of, where eternity touched earth. The first funeral I'll tell you about before we get into our text uh, captures this idea, there is nothing worse than a hopeless funeral. There's nothing worse than a hopeless funeral. As 10 years ago, uh, my high school friend had passed away. Uh, now, I grew up with this guy in high school. We, we ran with the crowd uh, in our high school called The Posse. We named ourselves The Posse because we were pretty cool. And, you know, we were the cool crowd. We, we had it going on. And, and, and in Wild Lake High School, we kind of ran the place, so we thought. And, and, and he was kind of one of our ringleaders. And I remember talking to him about Jesus multiple times. Uh, I had come to know Christ in eighth grade through my brother. And yeah, I was kind of longing for this guy. Because kind of as I was thinking, man, this cool guy comes to know Jesus, man, that could change our whole posse, right? Maybe even the whole school. He never did. Um, the years passed, the years passed, and I kind of heard um, from him every once in a while and heard through uh, one of my closest friends was a good friend of his. And, and then he passed away suddenly from a stroke. And there are all these details kind of surrounding his death as well. And we go to this uh, big funeral, seeing all these high school friends I hadn't seen for a long time. Uh, a big old Catholic funeral in the heart of Baltimore and this, uh, this huge cathedral. And we all walk in and everything's beautiful, but everyone is mourning without hope. And so they did kind of in this funeral what, what we often do in hopelessness when someone passes. They tried to convince us that he was better than he was. You ever been in one of these funerals? 
Because we all wonder, right, are, are we good enough to pass from this earth to the next, to all of eternity? And, and, and so uh, the priests try to convince us, and, and even family members or friends try to convince us, he, he's better than he was. But, but if you knew him, and, and, and really if you know anyone at their death, and the more you know them, what you realize is that's not true. The more you know somebody, the more you know yourself, you realize you're not that great. And even if you kind of live this really moral life, we all realize that it's not quite enough. If there is a holy God to stand before, I don't have what it takes. Then they also did uh, what we often try to do in a hopeless funeral which is uh, pretend like he'd still be with us. Oh, you're going to be able to kind of communicate with him still, and, and you'll always hold him right here in your heart, but, but you know it's not true. Eternity has begun. Eternity has started. And they're no longer with us. You, you feel the void. It's palpable. Particularly, you feel the void around the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Which is why many of us around funerals uh, do this one, which is ignore the loss when we're hopeless. Uh, we did this one. Everyone went to the bar before and after, and everyone got wasted. Because there's no hope. Uh, some people will even decide not to have a funeral because we don't want to face the reality that someone is left here and we're not sure about their eternity. And, and then Christians are really good at this last way to deal with the hopelessness of death, which is, let's pretend this is a good thing. Let's pretend that death is good and make it a big old celebration. But really, we're mourning. We know it's not good. We know it's not the way it ought to be. We know our world is broken, but our eyes have too quickly adjusted to the dark. When what is broken becomes normal, we say, this is just the way it is, and let's make it through. Paul writes these words. Because his friends, he calls them brothers, familial language, uh, brothers and sisters, his family of his and the church in Thessalonica, is mourning. And here's the purpose statement for which he writes this passage, which we're looking at. He says in verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, the word holds the idea of both, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul writes this passage, he says, I don't want you to mourn like others who mourn without hope. Uh, you, you're uninformed if you mourn this way. There's some bit of news that you don't have, some reality of what is true that you don't know. I don't want you to be uninformed, and, and I want you to live in contrast in the face of death to those who mourn without hope. Don't mourn like them. We mourn with those who have hope. He says, here's the purpose. Have hope in your mourning. There's an eternity coming. 
So what he'll do is now he'll explain the reason why we can have hope in the brokenness of death and the brokenness of our world. Uh, notice the next three verses start with this little word, for, gar, exclamation, uh, uh, ex, explanation, for, since we believe. Uh, then in verse 15, for, this we declare to you, uh, verse 16, for, the Lord himself. So he's going to say, I want you to mourn with great hope, with all eternity in store. For this reason, for this reason, and for this reason. They'll give a couple reasons. Uh, they're captured in the idea of what we believe and an event which will occur. What we believe and an event which will occur. Uh, the first four, an explanation of the reason for our hope, is found in verse 14. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. He says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For since we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. Uh, the first thing that Paul says is, we believe we have a Savior who has the ability to conquer death. We believe that Jesus died to pay for our sins. He took the wrath of God on himself in our place, but he didn't remain dead. He then rose again. He has the ability to overcome death. Cameron, my third daughter, she'll never let me forget. Back in fifth grade, she had this uh, math homework assignment. I said, I got this, honey. I'll, I'll work with you on this. And so we did her math homework together. Well, she failed. Year after year after year, I'll say, hey, do you want some help on your math homework? She says, no, not from you. Get me mom. Mom's way better at math. Look, when it comes to English homework, well, I can help her write an essay. But when it comes to math, I'm useless. I don't have the ability to help. She says, get me mom. Uh, she can help me here. She knows what she's doing. Dad, you're useless in this area. Without the ability, you are useless. And the first thing that Paul says is, we have a God who is able, who has overcome death itself. He died in our place and he is risen over death, alive and mighty. Notice how uh, Paul refers to death here. He says it three times. Uh, verse 13, uh, those who are asleep. says it again in verse 14, those who have fallen asleep. says it again in verse 15, we won't proceed those who have fallen asleep. It's Paul's word for death. To God, it's just like sleep. He has overcome death itself, so much so that he can wake us up by the might of his power and his ability. He is able to overcome death like it is sleep. They're mourning, thinking this is the end, and maybe we missed our chance. We died before Jesus returned. And Paul says, no, we have a God who conquers death and he'll wake you up just like you are asleep and take you into eternity. Notice what Paul says, uh, second, about what we believe. We don't believe that Jesus just has the ability. He has died and then has, has risen. But, but he then says, and that uh, 
uh, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He says Jesus has the ability to overcome death. He, he, he rose to newness of life. He's actually alive. But, but not just the ability does he have, but now through Jesus, God will bring those who are asleep uh, back to life. How does this happen for a believer? Uh, the first uh, way this happens is that first we are united with Christ. Uh, Paul talks about this language, that by faith uh, uh, we are united with Jesus both in his death and the payment of sin and his resurrection uh, to live in newness of life. Uh, Romans chapter 6 verses 3 to 5 puts it this way, that we are united by faith with Jesus himself, the one who is able to overcome death. He says it this way. Chapter 6, verses 3 and following of Romans. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We believed in Christ and, and were baptized as a symbol of what had occurred. Don't you realize we were baptized into his death? It's as though we were buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then here's what he says, for if you have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Christ has died for our sins, and it's as though our sins died on that cross with him. We ourselves, in a sense, crucified with him. He took our place on the cross. We died with him. It was marked in our baptism. But then, uh, by faith, we also know that uh, surely we'll rise with him as well. He is resurrected. We are alive in relationship with the living God. Through Jesus, God will bring us to newness of life. Uh, not only are we united with Jesus, but in Jesus' death and resurrection, we see that he is the first fruits of a resurrection to come. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to read a chapter on resurrection, this is the one to read. Uh, Paul talks about Jesus' resurrection and why it matters in our lives. And in verse 20, he talks about it like this, of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each to his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at the coming those who belong to Christ. I uh, see this uh, idea of first fruits is an uh, agricultural term. The idea is that when a farmer uh, plants his or her harvest, that, that the, when the beginning of the harvest starts, like right before it's really harvest time, uh, they bring in the first fruits and they can tell how amazing or how terrible the harvest will be by the first fruits. And, and if you bring in a whole bunch at the beginning, you know, man, this is going to be an awesome harvest. And Jesus in his death and then in his resurrection, Paul says he's the first fruits. He says, like he was raised to newness of life, alive and well and mighty, so when he comes, we all will be raised. The harvest is as, as good as known. It's going to be amazing. This is our God, alive and with us, alive and mighty. Alive and returning, he is our hope. Uh, my, my dad was kind of like an even emotion kind of guy. 
And we would, we would say often in our church services together either the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed uh, is this creed uh, where uh, it just kind of outlines um, who God is, the Father, then who God is, the Son, and then who God is, the Holy Spirit. And in this second paragraph, I want us to read it together because uh, at the end of it, there's this little line, and my dad would always say it, and Christ will come again. <laughs> to judge the living and the dead. He would say it with such conviction. I'll never forget sitting next to him when he would say those words. He believed it was going to happen and still does. So so let's read this creed together because uh, the first thing Paul says is the reason you have hope is because something you believe about who Jesus is and what our Jesus has done. Uh, So let's read this together. Ready? Let's read it. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead." Let's say that again. He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Our Jesus is alive and risen and will come back to judge and bring us to newness of life in his grace. The next couple reasons that Paul says uh, we have hope when we mourn even in death are captured in the events of that day of Jesus' return. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are made alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, Notice the language first. It is kind of historic or kind of news language of details or a timeline kind of language. It's not mystical or or fantasy language. Uh, See, here's what's happened. Remember in the Thessalonican church, uh, uh, the people are told by Paul, uh, we're not waiting for any other event in the redemptive timeline other than Jesus' return. Jesus will come back. So what they've all said is, oh man, Jesus is coming back. So uh, they quit their jobs. They're like, we don't even need to work anymore. He's coming back. And that's why uh, through this letter, but particularly the next letter to the Thessalonican church, Paul say, get to work. You got to work. He's not back yet. Uh, But then the second thing they'll do is they start weeping and wailing, mourning when their friends, their family members pass away and they die. Because they wonder, man, oh gosh, what is the Lord going to do if Uncle Joe's already dead and Jesus comes back? What happens to him? Do you capture what's happening? They actually believe Jesus is returning. Do you actually believe that Jesus is returning? 
do you actually believe that one day we will see the heavens opened and, and we will see Jesus? It'll be unmistakable, like a, a commander in an army coming, uh, like, like the messenger of God himself coming out of the skies, like a trumpet blaring and signaling. Do you actually believe that one day Jesus is going to come back? That this isn't just some hoax of Christianity or, or we attend church on a Sunday morning and we were part of a small group, right? But actually, that the, all eternity is at stake and, and the Lord Christ is coming. Does it, it's for them, they, they quit their work. I mean, they're kind of being foolish, Paul says about it. And they're, they're weeping. They're like, what about our dead friends? And, uh, but they actually believed it. it. It changed something about their lives, the way they lived. Do we actually believe he's returning? Uh, Paul calls it his appearing. Uh, verse 15, the, the parousia of the Lord, the coming, the appearing of the Lord. It, that's actually, uh, parousia is a technical term for when uh, a God appears, a, a divinity kind of uh, shows up in his or her power, right? Uh, or, or when a dignitary uh, comes back or comes into a town. This is the parousia, the, uh, the arrival of someone great. So he kind of lifts that term and he says, our Lord is going to arrive. He is actually coming. And then he gives kind of the first detail. He says, and, and we who are alive will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15. We're not going to beat those who are already dead there. Those who have died, uh, they'll actually be raised first, he says down in verses 16 and 17. They will come to life and receive their resurrected bodies first. I love it. Paul is giving details of that day, that historic event to come. And he's saying there's going to be no advantage for those who are alive or those who are dead already, uh, which kind of begs the question, well, where do we go when we die, Right? Like, well, what happens to us? And Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 16. We're kind of guessing in this realm, actually. Uh, but in Luke chapter 16, he tells this parable of, of Lazarus and, and this rich man. And, and, and when they each die, they, one goes to this uh, place of, of wrath and wailing and mourning. And, and one goes to uh, kind of a place of paradise. Or, or, when, uh, Paul is, or when Jesus is on the cross and there's thieves next to him, uh, the one kind of places his trust in Christ. And, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. Uh, you're, we're going to die uh, maybe before the Lord uh, returns, or maybe not, right? Because we don't know when it's going to happen. But before then, we'll, we'll kind of be waiting in a place of wailing and wrath or a place of uh, paradise and joy with the Lord. Uh, Paul will talk about this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. In Philippians 1, 20, 23, Paul says, man, I really want to depart my body and, and be with the Lord. Or then he talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. And he says, I'd rather be away from the body and, and in a sense have my soul with the Lord. And so we know we're in this moment, if we die now, that, that uh, most likely our, our soul or the non-physical part of us goes to wait with the Lord if we're trusting in Jesus. And we're waiting for what? We're waiting for his return. Uh, when uh, those who are already dead will be resurrected to newness of life, they'll get their resurrected bodies and come down from the heavens, and then we who are alive will be caught up with him and with them together and all come and live forever on a restored and redeemed earth. 
the new heavens, that's heaven itself and the new earth together with Christ in resurrected bodies. Detail number two that Paul gives, uh, not just will the Lord arrive and the dead will be raised first, but detail number two is in verses 16 and 17. It says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Detail number two is that the Lord will descend and then we will ascend to be with him if we are still alive on the earth when that day comes. I actually love that picture because it's a, a kind of a little nutshell of the gospel, right? That the Lord condescends to us, the Lord comes down, that we might come up to him. Every other religion says, work your way to the Lord, be good enough. Uh, and that's why we're hopeless at funerals when we uh, try and put our, our faith and our trust in being good enough. We realize we can't reach it. But, but in this nutshell moment, we see the Lord descends to bring us up with him. We don't know when this will occur. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, concerning the times and the seasons, we have no need and have, not, and have nothing to write to you. We have nothing to write to you about this. Why? Because even the Lord himself doesn't know when this day is. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. So we don't know when. We, we don't know how. People have been guessing. They've been taking passages like this to say, I'm going to delineate how this is going to happen when that day comes. And so you got premillennialism, then you've got uh, amillennialism, which are kind of the two main thoughts of how this will occur. Now, here's what I love about both these. Both are saying this will occur. We're going to read the scriptures, do our best to figure out what that will look like. And in premillennialism, we got this kind of second coming and, and rapture, this coming up uh, of all the saints. And that may happen before or after some sort of tribulation. And then uh, uh, premillennialism talks about this thousand-year reign of Christ when, when the Lord will make order on the earth and, and, and death and Satan will be uh, put down and cast out and then uh, will reign into all of eternity. What I think is probably a bit more accurate is that we are living in this time now. You can call it the millennium or you can not call it the millennium. Uh, so you can call this amillennialism or not millennialism. Uh, where we, the church, uh, are experiencing the partial reign of Christ in one sense. He has come, he rules, his kingdom has come on the earth. But, but we're waiting for him to come back. And, and we know probably things will get a bit worse at the end of time. And, and then the, the heavens will open and he'll return. And, and in a physical way he'll be back and he'll bring judgment both uh, to grace and to wrath. And he'll make all things new. And we'll enter into all of eternity with him. We don't really know when, we don't really know how, but we do know why. Verse 17. We do know why. So we will always be with the Lord. That the Lord will come and we will meet not just Him, but them in the sky. Those who are in Christ that we mourned over their death. And then we'll meet him and be with him forever. I've told you a little bit about how Leo is having a hard time going to school. A little guy in first grade, he's crying his head off every other day. And I mean, that breaks a dad's heart, right? And part of me, I'm like, hey, buck up, you know? But then I'm like, let me hold you, you know? <laughs> like, 
But here's what I'll say to him. I'll say a couple things. First, I'll say, who's going with you to school? He'll say, God's going with me, right? <laughs> yeah, buddy, God's going with you. And your teachers and your friends there, do they love you? Yeah, they love me. <laughs> and then I'll say, what do parents do? And he'll say, parents always come back. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come back and get you. You're going to see me after all this. The Lord says, I am going to come back and get you. Nothing can separate you from my love. I'll be back. I'll come and get you. Uh, when I, Jesus, when Jesus he says, when he comes out of the heavens, we are going to meet him and them and all the saints in Christ, and, and we will always be with him. Florence Chadwick in 1952, she's just a long-distance swimmer, and she, as she swims in open water, right, in 1952, she decided she was going to swim the 26-mile swim between the California coastline and the Catalina Island. This is kind of where L.A. is uh, in California, just south of there. you got uh, the Catalina Island right there, and, and the, uh, the strait that goes through those is 26 miles from, from coast to island. And so she kind of straps it all on, she gets her wetsuit on, and, and she starts swimming. And, and they've got, uh, you know, uh, boats going with her. Why? Because there's shark in the water. This is not a good idea. <laughs> and she's swimming, she wants to do this at 26 miles. She's, she's 15 hours in. 15 hours of swimming. This thick fog comes up, and she's kind of swaying this way and that. And, and you can imagine the boats are there keeping the sharks away. And her mom's in one of the boats, and she's swimming 15 hours in. She's like, I don't think I can make it. Her mom's like, are you sure? Yet? And she's like, I don't think I can make it. And she's, she's just swimming, swimming, starting to cramp up. She says, I can't make it. They pull her up into the boat. And they paddle to Catalina Island. She's less than a mile away, but she couldn't see it because the fog was so thick. Less than a mile after swimming 25 miles over 15 hours. She couldn't see the coastline. So because she's tough, she's like, I'm going to do this again. A couple months later, she gets in, boom, knocks it out. Same thing happened. Huge fog comes up about 15 hours in. They ask her afterwards, they say, man, what made the difference this time? She said, a quote, I kept a mental image of the shoreline in my mind. I kept a mental image of the shoreline in my mind. The end was coming. She knew what it looked like. She kept swimming. She made it. She then went on to swim it a couple more times, and, and then all these other huge bodies of water. It's amazing. Paul then gives us an implication, a command. He says, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Your Jesus has conquered death. You've been united with him. You're the, he's the first fruits of a resurrection to come, and he is coming back. And, and if you're already dead, you'll come down with him first. And, and if you're alive when he returns, you'll be caught up into heaven. Why? So you, oh, you'll be with him forever when he makes all things new. 
Might we always keep that coastline in our minds, and might we encourage one another, believers and non-believers, towards this day that will come. When we're encouraging believers, uh, will we keep a couple things in mind? Uh, this, this little book has just been a great tool for me as I walk with those who mourn in loss. It's called Don't Sing Songs to a Heavy Heart. Don't Sing Songs to a Heavy Heart by Kenneth Houck. Don't sing songs to a heavy heart. I'd recommend it. He brings out a couple things in here as we are walking with mourning people towards this day. The first is name what is. See, hope does not negate pain. Hope does not negate pain. And and notice the command here. uh, Paul is uh, writing this, not that we would not grieve, but that we would not grieve without hope. Uh, See, to, to... this is, this is not don't grieve. He's saying grieve, but grieve with hope. Today is not always. The season will pass. And probably one of the most powerful things we can do with those who are mourning is simply walk with them honestly and openly in it. To name. To name the suffering. Say, yeah, this is terrible, the loss you're experiencing right now. And I mourn with you in it. Romans 8, 18. It says the, the current suffering we are experiencing uh, compared to the future glory. Uh, we can't even compare the two. But, but in the meantime, we don't have to be the Savior uh, because He's returning to take us in the glory. We can walk with those who are mourning in honesty, naming what is. We can sit with them in it. As Romans 12, 15 says, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And then we can talk to him, our Savior, who is coming about it in prayer with those we mourn with. Uh, the book is full of gems. Uh, one of the, my favorite gems in it is the closest thing we have to a silver bullet when we are with those who are mourning is just our ears, <laughs> listening. Letting them guide what needs to be said or not said. Sitting with them as we wait for the return of our Savior. Second funeral. Caskets ought not to be made this small. Uh, Good friends of ours uh, went off to Turkey to Uh, work at a grad school out there and share the good news of Jesus uh, in the way they live their lives and with the words they shared about who Christ is and what he's done among one of the most unreached uh, peoples in the world. While they're out there, their six-year-old son, Banner, they're on vacation, uh, just gets sick one night and uh, they're just wondering, man, what's going on? What's going on? They they take him to the hospital because it's not getting better and, and then he passes away. And I'll never forget being at this funeral four years ago. And they're sharing, and they're not glossing over the reality of their pain. But they're saying things like this, and this is a quote from Banner's dad. I decided years ago to follow Jesus. Even if the worst happened, I will still follow Jesus is not worthy of our worship because he does what we want him to. 
Jesus is worthy because he is the eternal word of God. In each of our own timing, we choose to believe that God is worthy of all honor and glory, even though our son was torn from our lives. Oh, how we wish we could see it all made new. But until then, he says, we won't concede to other gods. We still choose to bow down to only him. Until then, he echoes uh, the, the psalmist and, and the prophets. How long, O Lord, with a, a declaration of today is not always, you will return. We mourn now, but we mourn with hope. Would all of eternity and the reality of Jesus' return shape the way that we live today? Revelation chapter 21 says it this way, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. Uh, He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That day is coming. That shoreline is arriving. Our Savior is coming back. He gave us a picture, a reminder of this, that every time we would gather... We would remember that that our Jesus who died to pay for our sins, whose blood was spilled in our place, that he is risen and that he will come again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. If you are in Christ this morning, would you take great comfort in his return? If you're in Christ this morning, would you live in your relationships with an eternal perspective? And if you're not in Christ this morning, would you cling to Christ this morning? He's returning. Would you be, re- be made ready by placing your faith, your trust in Him? Let's take and eat together, remembering that our Jesus has died and He's risen and He will come again. Let's take and eat.